Oh, my God. 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Thursday. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. I see you down. You're singing over. You just got no reason for dancing. A sudden tap. Your phone is ringing. And soon you're dancing and singing. Shackles gone. It's an open highway. In the blink of an eye, we're on our way. A little faith, a little trust in him. And soon we're singing and dancing. Give me a love. You just got no reason for dancing A little faith, a little faith, a little trust in him And soon we're singing and dancing Give me
Yeah. 
My Rebbe's words inspired me, I took them all to heart. So many things to work on now, I don't know where to start. I can't let this inspiration simply pass me by. Cause I won't know my potential if I don't even try. I can't wait for the big day Till I find out that my parsha Is by Yatil and Kudai I don't know if I can ever hope To lay me right And I might not even finish But I'll work every me with the Hebra on the bus because I told my wife and kids I'll be Messiah God's a shot oh I know that in the future it can get real tough but every single one tomorrow is important enough to keep in mind the words our sages teach no it's not our job to finish but we must attempt and even when it feels impossible we're still not
J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning. Welcome, everyone. Wow. I didn't think I sounded that bad this morning. 
Um, welcome to a, a Thursday morning broadcast on this February the 7th, day two in the month of Adar 1, the year 5779. Tough Shania and Tess. Uh, uh There he was with what we call Medley B from his Project Relax Israeli edition. Baruch Levine with Lo Alecha. Birkat HaOrech, that was Ohad. He was brilliant last night at the Reichman wedding in New York. Really just amazing with the Aaron Tadelbaum Orchestra. Nigun Daniel, that was Schlockrock. Eitan Freilach, Siavo Shalom. Geula from Eighth Day. And, of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Thursday and this February 7th, the 2nd of Adar 1, 41 degrees, 94% humidity. Winds are north at 8 miles an hour. Cloudy today with a high temperature of 51. Then tonight, showers and a low of 44. Tomorrow morning, showers with a high temperature, 55 degrees. Yushalayim at 54. We're at 41 here. In New York City, as we say uh, good morning here at JM and the AM. A bunch of great guests this morning. Dean Michael Strauss is going to join us from the Sysim School of Business. Talk about the executive MBA program. Willie Hochman with the uh, Rabbi and Mrs. Uden Tribute Dinner. He'll be visiting us in the 8 o'clock hour. And Michael Eisenberg, author and uh, partner at Olive VC. He'll join us to discuss his book. And we'll let you know why it's so timely in more than one way. Uh, coming up in the 8 o'clock hour this morning here at JM in the AM. Plenty happening on a Thursday. You know Thursdays, action-packed, full days here at the Nahum Siegel Network. So uh, sit tight. Keep us with you all day long. Make sure to stay tuned in, and you'll be very happy you did. JM in the AM continues on a Thursday morning broadcast. Keep it here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Hey, hey, hey. 
much time left and before I go I want to tell you that after I'm gone you should give the store to our son Jack but Papa you know Jack he always wanted to make changes he'll run it down better you should give it to Joey okay mama but the house in the country should go to our daughter, Ethel. Papa, what does Ethel need that big house? They have no children. She'll never use it. Better you should give it to Dares. Okay, Mama. <laughs> but the new car, I would like for our Freddy to have. Freddy? But, Papa, you know how crazy Freddy is with his reckless driving. And with the girls. Better you should give the car to Jack. <sighs> Mama, who's dying, you or me? 
JM in the AM. Month of Adar on this, th- <laughs> this Thursday morning with some of our great comedy segments. Plenty coming up here on a Thursday. That was the um, Shalshelas selection, Besimcha. You heard Am Mikadashay from Yehuda Green. Miami had Tfilas Chupa, Colin Ashama. That was Yaakov Shweki. Yoni Z opened up the set with Manaseh. Here at JM in the AM, 41 degrees, 94% humidity, winds are north at 8 miles per hour. Cloudy today with a high temperature of 51. Then tonight, showers and a low of 44. Tomorrow morning, showers and a high temperature of 55 degrees. Yushalayim is at 54. We're at 41 here in New York City as we say good morning at JM in the AM. We'll do this one from Ari Goldwag and more coming up at JM in the AM. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. Ari Goldwag wrapping up the hour for us. It's Thursday. News from Israel coming up next. Full schedule on the network, as you would assume. Some great shows coming up this morning uh, after JM in the AM. And uh, we have some great guests coming up here at JM in the AM. All between now and the 9 o'clock, and I thank you all for tuning in. Support this great radio show and all our efforts by going to fjbunity.org. You could sponsor all or part of a JMAM broadcast in honor of somebody, in memory of somebody, for your Rafur Shlema for somebody. Go to fjbunity.org. Again, fjbunity.org for all the information. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio. 2 p.m. newscast for a Thursday follows next. We say Boker Toe from JMM. Galitzal from Jerusalem, Hashash Time. Kanehut Graf, in Mashekoreach Shav. 
מהכדורגל לכנסת. בעלת קבוצת הפועל באר שבע, אלונה ברקת, הודיעה לפני זמן קצר במסיבת עיתונאים כי היא עוזבת את עולם הספורט ומצטרפת לפוליטיקה. אחרי 12 שנים מופלאות בהובלת המועדון, הבנתי שזו חובתי לקחת את האמונה הזאת צעד אחד קדימה. לנסות בצניעות, אך בנחישות, להביא את השינוי החברתי שהובלנו יד ביד בבאר שבע. לישראל כולה כשליחת ציבור. לכן החלטתי להיענות לקריאה להיכנס לשדה הפוליטי. מוקדם יותר דווח כי ברקת צפויה להצטרף למפלגת הימין החדש ותהיה במקום השלישי ברשימה לכנסת. אכזבה לשר החינוך בנט. המועצה להשכלה גבוהה ביטלה את הקמת הפקולטה לרפואה באוניברסיטת אריאל. כתבתנו לענייני חינוך, מיכל צ'ין. לאחר דיון מחודש שהתקיים בוועדה לתכנון ולתקצוב של המועצה להשכלה גבוהה, שלושה חברים הצביעו נגד הקמת הפקולטה ושניים הצביעו בעד. אי לכך, הלימודים בפקולטה לא ייפתחו בשנת הלימודים הבאה. הדיון המחודש נערך בעקבות דרישת היועץ המשפטי לממשלה, שהעלה חשש מניגוד עניינים של אחת מחברות הוועדה. משר החינוך נפתלי בנט נמסר בתגובה, אינני מתכוון לוותר, איאבק בקרטל האוניברסיטאות. יושב ראש ועדת הבחירות המרכזית, השופט חנן מלצר, מזהיר מהתערבות בינלאומית בבחירות באמצעים טכנולוגיים. כתבנו ניר שוויד. שופט העליון מלצר הסביר כי קיים חשש לניסיון של גורמים זרים להשפיע על דעת הקהל בישראל. הוא ציין שנפגש עם בכירים במערך הסבר סייבר, אך הוא עדיין מודאג. מלצר ברך על כך שההצבעה בישראל ידנית ולא ממוחשבת, והזהיר שעלולים להיות ניסיונות השפעה זרים גם על סקרים. על השאלה האם כבר זוהה ניסיון להתערבות זרה, מלצר סירב להשיב. חשד לרצח ישראלית בת 20 בטורקיה. בתקשורת המקומית פורסם סרטון בו נראים אביה ואחיה גוררים את גופתה. כתבת חדשות החוץ, אינה אנטונוב. המשטרה בטורקיה עצרה את האב והאח בחשד לרצח הצעירה, אחרי שסביב צווארה נמצאו סימני אלימות, כך מדווחת התקשורת הטורקית. הצעירה במקור מאום אל-פחם גרה בטורקיה כבר חצי שנה. אתמול היא נמצאה מתה אחרי שלדברי עדי ראייה נפלה ממרפסת ביתה. ממשרד החוץ נמסר כי נעשים מאמצים להביאה לקבורה בארץ. החברה להגנת הטבע עותרת לבג"ץ. התוכנית להקמת טורבינות רוח בגולן מסכנת את חייהם של הנשרים באזור. כתבנו מאיר מרציאנו. החברה להגנת הטבע עותרת נגד התוכנית כיוון שלא הותקנו בטורבינות מנגנונים שיבטיחו את שלום הנשרים שבאזור. בין הנימוקים נכתב כי אוכלוסיית הנשרים בישראל, שמרביתה נמצאת ברמת הגולן, בסכנת החדה חמורה. כמו כן, החברה להגנת הטבע הדגישה כי הנשרים מסייעים באופן טבעי בצמצום מזיקים ומחלות לבני האדם, ולכן יש למנוע את יציאת התוכנית אל הפועל. תחזית מזג האוויר לסיום. הגשמים צפויים להתמעט והטמפרטורות תרדנה במידה ניכרת. בסוף השבוע צפוי גשם מקומי ויהיה קר מהרגיל לעונה. אלה החדשות שעורכת ענבל אלבז. Thank <laughs> you. 
It will only happen when we all get along Everyone waiting for wishing praying for Mashiach Let's love one another Every world in song
J.M. in the A.M. Levy Cohen with uh, Adaraba here at J.M. Interesting selection, huh? That's for sure. Uh, that's Levy Cohen with Adaraba here at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, before that, Milech Cohen with the Ahafta. Av Harachaman. Av Harachaman with uh, Uri Davidi. Avremo had Achim Manefesh and Vesecha Zenon was done by Benny Friedman. Here at JM in the AM. Um, welcome to a, a Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank those who are commenting on our app, the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone. Always a fun way to connect with us. One listener says, Shout out from Philadelphia. Thank you, Philadelphia, for tuning in. Trucker Yitz is in the Catskills. He says, All the rain washed away the snow. Another two degrees colder would have been an ice. Spectacular event. Uh, see you at the live lunch from Cobleskill, New York. <laughs> That's where he is, Cobleskill, New York. I bet you he's our only listener in Cobleskill this morning. I just have a feeling. By the way, if I'm wrong, I'll be glad to be wrong on that one. <laughs> it's a Thursday here at the Nahum Single Network. It means at 9 o'clock, unlocking greatness with Charlie Harari is going to be on. Spin class, the world of politics with Michael Fragan. At 9.30, Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs will happen at 10 o'clock. At 10.30, Rabbi Yaakov Horowitz, founding dean of Yeshiva Darche Noam of uh, Muncie, and an innovative educator, author, and child safety advocate. He'll be uh, Miriam L. Wallach's guest on uh, That's Life. He published child safety books that are now in 
70,000 homes in three languages, as well as beginner Gemara and Chumash workbooks. So he'll be uh, on between 10.30 and 11. Live lunch coming up at 11 o'clock. It is a Thursday after all here at JM in the AM. Rabbi Goldwasser has the morning off. We continue with Sandy Shmueli at JM in the AM. J.M. in the A.M. Thursday morning broadcast. Sandy Shmueli with Vani Bachazdecha. He recorded that years ago at a little bit of a temp- different tempo for those of you who are Jewish music aficionados. You may have picked that up. That's his most recent uh, version on the album Anishar here at J.M. in the A.M. 
7.33 in the morning, uh, 27 minutes before 8 o'clock. Good morning, all. Welcome to those of you tuned in around the world. Well, it's become almost a tradition already that the uh, Cy Sim School of Business Executive MBA program is a sponsor of our Kosher Halftime Show. They were again this year, and we thank Dean Strauss and everybody who's responsible for that. And whenever we uh, invite Dean uh, Michael Strauss to these airwaves, it is not just to speak about this specific program and why it's so beneficial to so many people in our community, which we will, of course. But beyond that, he always gives an opportunity for us to discuss the importance of organized coursework, organized education, um, going for a quote-unquote real degree from a real institution with real faculty and a real curriculum. And uh, this is, uh, again, not in any way to criticize any program that's out there. It's simply to point out to people that the benefits of going to a program that has a, uh, an, an amazing present and future uh, far outweighs uh, going to programs that cannot meet those standards. Simple as that. Uh, Dean Michael Strauss, Dean of the Yeshiva University Sci Sim School of Business, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm delighted to be here. And uh, let me just uh, say that uh, the uh, Kosher Halftime Show uh, was just uh, very, very, uh, very special this year. Although they're, they're, they're excellent every year, but this year, to me, it was, uh, was excellent. You guys did a fantastic job. My hat's off. Congratulations. Mazel tov. Greatly appreciate that. We thank you for your support and for those comments. And we, we, try, we try to continue to one-up ourselves, and hopefully we'll continue that tradition so thank you very much for that, Dean Strauss. Uh, you get my point. We'll talk about Executive MBA in a minute and why it's such a, uh, a benefit for so many people out there, and really students and parents should pay careful attention to this conversation. But you, you get my point, which we've made before, about formal education with a solid curriculum, with really strong professors. I mean, someone will look back on that type of experience years later, and it will, it will certainly be at least one element uh, in their eventual career success, no, 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 no question about it. And especially uh, nowadays, much more so than in the old days uh, uh, when I when I when I went to college. Although it was always extremely important, but today uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, the companies um, and the uh, employers are if they want to hire anybody, uh, uh, literally anybody, not not necessarily into a senior position, but into a starting position whether it's a data analyst, whether it's uh, uh, in, in computer science, whether it's in marketing and business and finance, uh, clearly uh, one needs to have a, uh, a degree. This is uh, uh, what they call globalization. Uh, there's no more businesses that operate uh, in a cocoon, uh, and uh, young men and young women must have the broad education, and I emphasize that to every student. And, and I think, as you know, Nahum, I, uh, I spend a great deal of time, and that's the reason I'm really here, uh, with students literally every day. And I, I emphasize, when they talk to me about, uh, you know, I didn't get an A minus, I should have gotten an A, A plus, uh, and, and they talk about grades, and I talk about uh, this professor is, uh, quote, unquote, easier than the other professor. I emphasize that they come to Yeshiva University to get a broad education, not to get a job. Clearly, we all understand 
that a job is very important and the education leads them to getting the job because they're all uh, eventually as much as we would like to keep them here for a long time. <laughs> I got to get married and, 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 and have a family and need to get a job. So uh, I, I'm very proud to say that certainly in the last uh, uh, several years since uh, uh, we've been involved uh, with the business school particularly, uh, we have uh, been very, very fortunate that our graduates uh, are getting jobs, and they're getting excellent, uh, good jobs. I mean, uh, I, yesterday I heard, for example, just uh, that uh, our newest majors, we have a new major, uh, about a year old, called BIMA, Business Intelligence and Marketing Analytics. Wow. Uh, two of our students uh, received uh, jobs with Condé Nast, which they've never, they never have done before. Condé Nast never hired anybody at Yeshiva University. And certainly they would never have gotten it had they not uh, received this, uh, uh, this, this level of education. Very interesting. Uh, and by the way, parenthetically, I, I must point this out, because, and we will talk about Executive MBA in a second, but I must point this out. The advice or the analysis that you just gave us, you would give to a student in any area of study at this point. And, I, I mean, you, you would tell the prospective rabbi, how beneficial certain speech and education courses and curricula can be for them, and you would tell anybody who's uh, going into into marketing or any type of uh, of advertising, even even prospective uh, lawyers and doctors, you would say to them, it, it, it is only a positive if you add more and more to a reasonable curriculum workload. I always, when I talk to students, I tell them uh, two things. Number one. Uh, I'm a YU guy. Uh, I'm not a Cy Sims guy. So uh, from my perspective, irrespective of the area that they want to get into, whether it's psychology, philosophy, biology, chemistry, what have you, uh, I, I give them the same exact uh, uh, advice. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I make sure that they, uh, as they understand. And secondly, I tell them that uh, when they sit in front of me, uh, I, I'm not talking to them as the dean, and they're the students. I'm talking to them as if they were my sons and daughters, not to take away <clears throat> their family. <clears throat> and that's the advice I would give my own uh, children and grandchildren, yeah. which I do. So, uh, yes, I, I, I agree with you, Nachum. Uh, education is extremely, extremely important nowadays, and we're very proud uh, that what we have uh, been able to accomplish here uh, at the university and here at Cy Sims is to take it to the next level, and that is to make sure that the students are uh, real students, so to speak. In other words, they're not a number. Uh, they have a name that the professors know them by name. In many cases, uh, I certainly know them by name. The academic advisors know them. Uh, they hold our hands. They work with them in terms of developing the curriculum, getting to understand where uh, their interests lie, and marrying that with the uh, uh, curriculum and the courses uh, that we offer. Uh, very, very extremely important. And most universities, and there are many, many very, very good universities, clearly, uh, in, uh, in the country and in the world. Uh, but class sizes are, I don't know, 120, 130, 140. I know uh, uh, the other day I was talking to, uh, to a friend of mine who happens to be at Hunter College for 40 years. Terrific. I said, Malky, how many students do you have in your class? And I, she said 140. Wow. Out of 40, and I, by the way, that's not unusual. Right. And I said, uh, how do you connect with your professor? She said, I don't. I come into class. If my name is called, I raise uh, if a name. I call a name. If student raises their hand, uh, they're here. If they don't, they don't. I, I really don't know anyone 
uh, pretty much anyone in my class. Uh, that's sad, you know. That's very sad. Although I'm sure she uh, she's brilliant and she uh, she happens to be teaching physics, but uh, that does not happen at, at at Yeshiva University. Students, my doors open. The academic advisors' doors are open. The professors come in early. Uh, they stay late. They have. Uh, Office hours, so it's it's like a mishpocha. It's much more, you know. We have, I always say, yeshiva has tremendous resources uh, uh, to uh, to bear. But 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 in terms of the academic side, it's like a family, like a small family. We get to know everybody. I can't tell you how many parents I speak to. <laughs> how many times students come to me and say, uh, Dean Strauss, you know, I need some advice, but please please don't tell my parents I spoke to you, and vice versa. <laughs> Where a mother calls me up uh, and says, uh, "Can I speak to you?" But please don't tell my son or my daughter that I called you up. So, uh, and, and I, obviously, I, I enjoy that tremendously. Dean Michael Strauss is with us. Why you Sim School of Business? Now you explained to us last year, and this is one of the uh, uh, for for our community. It's such an important program that the executive MBA is, is something that, as far as you know, is never offered on a Shomer Shabbos schedule until Yeshiva University's Sai Sim School of Business came along. Correct, correct. Uh, what we did is uh, six, seven years ago, when I first came into this administrative uh, position, uh, it was clear, to me at least, that we needed to offer some sort of a, an MBA or EMBA program, more, more an EMBA, which is basically a uh, weekend part-time uh, program. Uh, we did a lot of research uh, Particularly in the area, uh, in the area, and there is no EMBA program uh, that's offered on a Sunday. They're all Friday and Saturday for obvious reasons. We couldn't offer it, but as we did uh, the research, we also found out that while clearly uh, the target audience uh, would be uh, our own community, that there are many, many people out there. They work on Saturday. There are many people. Uh, not necessarily uh, Jewish of, of all denominations. There are many people who, uh, uh, on Saturday, even though they don't work, uh, they would like to take their children for basketball, football, soccer, whatever. So they're interested in a Sunday. Uh, so anyway, we did, so we did develop, based on that input, uh, we developed uh, what we think of a first-class uh, EMBA program. Uh, uh, in addition to the fact that on Sunday, where our program is very unique from uh, every other EMBA program is, is the following. Number one, and most importantly, uh, pretty much every EMBA program uh, in, the, in, in the region and even the country, but certainly uh, my focus was uh, in this area, in the tri-state area, uh, is taught by adjuncts. And while adjuncts, uh, many adjuncts are very, very capable, uh, highly uh, uh, respected people. The fact is that they don't have a tie-in to the, univer- to the university where they teach. They teach, they come in, teach a course, two courses, they leave. Uh, one of the things we made very, very, uh, made it very, very clear as part of the program that our most senior uh, faculty members, the highly experienced, highly researched, and the practitioners uh, are the ones that teach these courses. So, for example, I have the chair of finance. Uh, who's a Princeton guy teaching one of the courses of the chair of marketing, uh, who is uh, a Columbia person who is rated 18th uh, in her uh, worldwide in her consumer research uh, uh, teaching marketing. Uh, yours truly, I teach the entrepreneurship course. So we've made sure that the uh, 
students get uh, top uh, top notch faculty, which is uh, uh, not uh, not often in other schools. And the third element, there's many elements. The third element is uh, a small cohort. We made it. Uh, we said basically that we're not going to have more than 15 students in the class. This this year, for example, we have 12 students, and that makes for a very very uh, excellent. Uh, close working relationship between the professor. It's really not uh, where you stand up in front and you lecture the class. We work very closely it's, uh, uh, with the students. They work very closely with us. We communicate with them during, during the week. It's, 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 it's more of a uh, close-knit group. Uh, and of course, uh, in that respect, not only do we, the professors, get to know the students very well, but they get to know each other extremely well. Uh, we put them to groups. Uh, they do case studies. So it's a very close working relationship. Well, by, by, by the end of the semester, uh, actually, uh, this is this, this, this Sunday will be the third one. I happen to know everyone pretty well. I know what their background is. And, and, and of course, every one of them has uh, their, their strengths and weaknesses. And that's how we fit them into groups. And that's how we uh, lay out our curriculum. So it's, uh, it's a very, very uh, well, the, 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 the most, not the most important, but an extremely important element is that when we price the program, it's a two-year program, by the way, 48 credits. Uh, right. It's on Sundays, three Sundays, and the fourth Sunday's off uh, so that uh, they do have some, uh, the students do have uh, uh, some relief uh, rather than going every single Sunday. Uh, but what we did is when we looked at the tuition uh, of uh, our competition out there, it's anywhere from the 150 plus thousand uh, for the program uh, for Columbia NYU down to I believe the cheapest one is 99,000, which is Fordham, and we priced it extremely, extremely competitively at $69,000 for two years, which includes, by the way, a summer tri a trip a week to Israel. Uh, this year, the cohort is going to Israel uh, in June. Uh, to meet with, uh, you know, the startup economy uh, in Israel, the startup uh, ecosystem, ecosystem, many startup companies, uh, as well as advanced startup companies uh, uh, like Checkpoint, uh, uh, like WeWorks, et cetera, et cetera, uh, meet with entrepreneurs uh, and, and, and tour around uh, the uh, Israel. And the second year, the second summer, uh, is a what we call a New York residency, which likewise is similar to the Israel, but we expose them to uh, companies large and small, entrepreneurs, Google, Facebook, uh, in the New York area for a week. It's all inclusive in the $69,000 uh, for a two-year uh, program. So uh, it's an extremely, extremely uh, reasonably priced, but most importantly, one that at the end of that two-year period, uh, one of several things will happen. Uh, clearly, the students will have a much more well-rounded uh, education and ability to perform better at their current jobs. They certainly have an opportunity to get promoted uh, at their current job, jobs. And uh, if they uh, feel that they may not be uh, fulfilled at the, in the current workplace, have the opportunity given that additional degree and education that they uh, receive to get a uh, better job elsewhere, or even because we spend a lot of time, I do in my class, uh, about you know how to go about starting a business, how to go about uh, getting funding. Uh, uh, this Sunday I'm teaching them how to put together a business plan. 
to even start their own uh, business if they so desire. Dean Strauss, uh, for the men and women and for their parents who are listening, who, who is eligible? You spoke about tuition. You spoke about the schedule, very convenient schedule again for the Shomer Shabbos person. Uh, who is eligible? You need to have completed what to get into an executive MBA program? Completed your undergraduate uh, undergraduate degree, and we like to see people that uh, students that have uh, spent at least two or three years uh, in the business world. Uh, in business, in other words, uh, we usually do not take. There are exceptions, very rare exceptions. We usually do not take somebody into the MBA program right after they. Uh, completed their uh, undergraduate degree. But, for example, uh, I am actually meeting uh, this evening with an individual who uh, is interested in next year's cohort. Uh, uh, He's graduating from undergraduate school, but uh, he came from Israel. He spent seven years in the IDF, and and I don't have to tell the audience and you uh, the the level of uh, education that one gets at IDF. So, he may be, I don't know, I haven't met him yet, he just sent me an email, but he could be the exception that we might take into the program, uh, uh, even though he will just have completed uh, the uh, undergraduate studies. Dean Strauss, information about all of this, what do people do? Well, uh, first of all, uh, which I always do, you should go online, you should go online, uh, uh, go on the uh, SISIMS website, and, and, and you'll see graduate programs and uh, EMBA pops up. Uh, you can, uh, of course, send me an email, uh, and what I always do on your program and to my students, uh, I will uh, give you my uh, cell phone number, which is 516-359-9059. Anyone in the audience who is interested or their families, uh, feel free to give me a call. As I always uh, kind of kiddingly say, don't call me on Shabbos, but <laughs> any other time, uh, evenings or Sunday, feel free to give me a call, and I'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction. Dean Michael Strauss at 516-359-9059. He is the Dean of Sysim School of Business and proudly uh, continues to uh, promote um, with great pride the uh, Executive MBA program, which could be such a tremendous benefit for so many people who are in this audience and are in our community. Dean Strauss, we thank you again. Continued success, and thanks so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure to uh, talk to you and to your audience. Have a good day. Great. Have a good Shabbos. Bye-bye. You as well. A great day, a great Shabbos, and thanks so much for joining us. There he is, Dean Michael Strauss. We thank him and everybody at the Executive MBA program for their sponsorship of the Kosher Halftime Show, and we remind you that this program, as we've been talking about for, oh my gosh, I don't know how many, at least a a year and a half on this show, is such a tremendous benefit for people in our community. Explore it. Uh, go to the Cy Sims website. The graduate programs have the e- executive MBA program there. And, of course, you could dial 516-359-9059, 516-359-9059. This is JM in the AM. Eli Ahu Hanovi, Eli Ahu Atishbi, Eli Eli Ahu Hagilo, 
J.M. and the A.M. with Gershon Varoba. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com. On the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. One of the greatest promoters of J.M. and the A.M. and the NachumSiegel Network is visiting our studio this morning, and we thank him for his dedication to what we do. And this morning, he's going to tell us about something else that he's very passionate about. Willie Hochman is here. He's been here in the past to speak about his work and his staff's work at the Joel Paul Group in New York City and really worldwide. You get my point. And uh, today, we are not going to be speaking about the Joel Paul Group. We're going to be speaking about a, uh, a couple, a couple and a special tribute dinner that's going to be happening on April the 7th up at the Atrium Ballroom in Muncie, New York. Willie Hochman, I guess today I should say, representing the city of Fairlawn and the uh, congregation of Shomrei Torah. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. Good morning to you. Good morning to your well, uh, your listening audience. It's always a pleasure to be here and in studio. I, Thank you. I appreciate that very much. Great to have you here. And today's a very special day. I try on Fridays, because Rabbi Yudin is, of course, with us every Friday, I try on Fridays to remind the audience but today we've set aside this morning a few minutes on a Thursday to remind everybody how important it is if you've been enjoying or by you didn't over these last 35-plus uh, years and if you have uh, had any connection to the Udins, as so many people in the community have had. I mean, people now living around the world have been influenced by Rabbi uh, Benjamin and Rebbitz and Chevy Udin over the years. Anybody out there? who falls into that category, we want to see you at the Atrium Ballroom on Sunday night, April the 7th, and here is why. Fifty years ago, Rabbi Benjamin and Rebetzin Shevi Yudin came to Shomri Torah in Fairlawn and sparked a journey that has transformed the community, which in turn continues to impact the world. Today, as Rabbi Yudin transitions to Rabbi Emeritus and Shomri Torah prepares for the next phase of leadership, uh, Shomrei Torah and the greater Jewish community is going to be celebrating 50 years of inspiration while looking ahead to the future. To accommodate the growing community and as a lasting testament to the union legacy, Shomrei Torah is embarking on a shul campus renovation, which will now be known as Shomrei Torah, the Rabbi Benjamin and Chevy Yudin campus. The tribute dinner, as we said, is Sunday, April the 7th at the Atrium Ballroom. And to attend the dinner, to donate to the Yudin tribute and legacy campaign, to get your reservations in, etc., you can't imagine how easy it is. You just go to yudintribute.org, Y-U-D-I-N, yudintribute.org. Again, that's yudintribute.org. You know, I'm going to start in 2019, if you don't mind, and then we'll go back 50 years. All I keep hearing is that Fairlawn is going through some type of massive growth period right now. You're an eyewitness. What can you tell us about it? Sure, thank you, Nachum. Um, having been living in, in Fairlawn for 36 years, I and many others have seen the growth of Fairlawn. Uh, it started out with one shul, Shomrei Torah, uh, in 1968, uh, sorry. Uh, and now, thank God, growing, we have seven, let's count them, seven Orthodox shuls wow. in the town of Fairlawn. Wow. Uh, not only are all our uh, rabbis well-known, the, the shuls are growing. There are Sephardic shuls, Lubavitch shuls, uh, Ashkenazic shuls as well. And uh, aside from our shuls and our, our, our community members, uh, we are very famous for our kosher Chinese takeout. They come 
uh, west from Teaneck and, and other communities, and our Zadie's Bakery. So we've got it all. We've got a mikvah. We've got restaurants. But in addition to all this growth, as you just said, over 50 years, I've been told that particularly over the last year or so, you've seen so many young couples move in and just the community continue to grow by, like crazy. That, that is correct. Actually, I'll take you back, if I can, just seven or eight years. Uh, several members uh, of Shomrei Torah and other, other shuls, I was involved in a community growth. We networked, we marketed, we brought in young couples, actually paid for their rent. And one of the things that we all asked them to do was just market the community, the shul, through social media, their friends, right. invite them for Shabbos. And this leads into Rabbi and Shevi Yudin. People know Rabbi Yudin from this, from this network, um, and they know Shevi and Rabbis Chasadim. But when you engage with the Rabbi and Shevi across their Shabbos table and see them in a more social environment, you get to see the wonderful people that they are. And that's what excited people to come to Fairlawn for Shabbos, move in, choose their shul where to daven, and that's right. Shomrei Torah, other shuls are, are growing tremendously. And you mentioned uh, seven Orthodox shuls. We should point out this may be, may, this, it may be um, unnecessary to state, but why not say it, that the leadership of all those shuls have tremendous respect for the Udins. That is so correct. Uh, the title that uh, Rabbi Yudin um, humbles away from is he's the rabbi's rabbi. Right. Uh, not only in Fairlawn has he been respected and people look to him for mentorship, but in the larger Jewish community, rabbis uh, around the country and sometimes around the world. Uh, he's here 30, but longer than I am. Yeah. He's here 37 years or so every single week. And and as I said on the video tribute, um, what he has gone through every week or, or certain weeks to make sure that this Tvar Torah that we're going to hear tomorrow is heard, is you can't imagine some of the stories. His dedication is certainly well known to the people uh, here in this studio. Um, in addition, we know about his incredible career at Yeshiva University, um, the head of the JSS program for a long, long time. Uh, I reminded certain people involved in this project that the Udins were a key to the Camp Hillel experience, right, years and years ago, um, for a very long time. In fact, I remember him actually calling in on Friday from Hillel when, when phone service from the Catskills wasn't exactly always spot on to do the Dvar Torah on Fridays. And and again, a lot of other areas. There's a, there's a very large network of people, family and friends in Israel, who are connected to the Udins. He has had an impact on on uh, children and families over the last many decades. That, you know, we don't have to go into the details now, but you know what I mean. Tremendous chesed in terms of what his own family has done. And uh, therefore, I'm saying all this to remind people who are listening that almost everybody listening has some connection to this couple, has some connection to Rebetz and Chevy and Rabbi Benjamin Yudin. That is so true, Nachum. If I could just give you one snippet, sure. and it really connects the Nachum Siegel Network, JM and the AM program, to its worldwide audience. I'll give you two, two quick stories. One, we just got an email and an interest in supporting uh, the tribute to Rabbi Yudin from a philanthropic individual in London, England. <laughs> and, and he lists, where do you come from? What do you do? The person who dialogued with him. I listen to Rabbi Yudin on Fridays. Right. And I try during the day at other times to right. listen to the programs. But Rabbi Yudin's you know, voice oh. and, and is worldwide. I will tell the audience one quick story of just to show uh, how wide it is. Um, my niece, quite a few years ago, was in Englewood Hospital's radiography program. When she graduated, we attended her, her graduation. 
along with her parents and family. And after the graduation, I was introduced to the head of the radiography program, an Italian gentleman named Joe Sedano. Joe's retired since. How are you? Nice to meet you. Where do you live? I said, Fairlawn. He goes, Fairlawn, do you know Rabbi Yudin? My eye, I'm thinking, Joe Sedano, what does he know? Okay, maybe Rabbi Yudin visits the hospital for right. the sick. Right. Cholim, wonderful. So I said, how do you know Rabbi Yudin? He says, oh, I listen to his program every Friday morning on, at that time it was WFMU, right. JM in the AM. Right. And I said, really, Dr. Sedano, what, what connection do you have? He says, it's very simple, Willie. I do rounds for my patients. And when I meet, for example, Mr. Goldberg on a Friday in December, I always remind him, Mr. Goldberg, don't forget to light Hanukkah candles before you light your Shabbos candles. <laughs> and that's the impact Rabbi Yudin has had to, to the world. He's a Rebbe to many that we wouldn't even suspect. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, by the way, some people might be curious, what will the Yudins be doing? I'm assuming they will remain in Fairlawn, am I right? Correct. So Rabbi and Chevy, God willing, will remain in, in their home in Fairlawn. Uh, as you said, they have children around the world. Right. Uh, they will visit Israel. There are other children in the five towns and Passaic. Uh, and Rabbi Yudin's title will be emeritus. Right. Um, his uh, day job will continue to be Yeshiva University, which is his passion. And to all the listeners out there who have connected with and been a student of Rabbi Yudin, this is your chance to provide Hakara Satov and tribute to the rabbi. Many of the students have been in Fairlawn, Shomrei Torah, for many Shabbosim, and have been around the table with Chevy and seen her wonderful cooking and have seen the rabbi in action in an outside-the-school world. But uh, his responsibilities in the shul will be emeritus to be determined as to what he won't like to do and the shul needs. Um, Willie Hochman is here. We're talking about the tribute to the Udens, which is happening on April 7th. There are still some seats available, Willie, correct? There's still yes, some seats yes, available. please. We, we just recently opened up the website. Um, two reservations. As Nachum said, the website is org. Very simple to reserve. There's an email address to ask questions to, tribute at shomri-torah.org. And um, you, can always, you can contact anybody through that means. Um, if you'd like a formal invitation and you don't think we have your uh, mailing address, please go to the website and email, and we'll be happy to send you a, an invitation as well. Now, in all fairness to all the high-quality Rebbitsons out there, as a congregant and as somebody who's living there for 36 years, tell everybody uh, in a couple of minutes um, the role that Rebetzin Yudin has played in being this amazing partner to Rabbi Yudin in all of this that you just described earlier. That's exactly right. You, uh, Nachum, used the word partner. Um, in in our Chumash, it says in Pirkei uh, Avos or Chumash, I apologize, Ezer Kenegdo. She is his partner in everything that they do together. Um Things that were innovated decades ago by Chevy. Um, she prepares shalach manos for every shul member family. And since several families, children, many family children have grown up and moved out of the community within a geographic range, she prepares shalach manos for children who grew up here and are available to receive her shalach manos. Um, she leads a Tehillim group in our shul for many, many years that is so important and so wonderful and, and hopefully gives refuah and uh, things that people pray for, and she leads that as well. And uh, Simchas Torah and Shavuos. We are known, uh, again, I hope community-wide for sure, worldwide, about some of the uh, beautiful kiddishes and things that, that uh, Chevy uh, gets involved in and prepares. One last thing. It's been Chevy's 
mantra to host, right. along with the rabbi, Shever Brachot, for every child when available, when, when, when it works out, in their home during the week of Shever Brachot. That's what they, they meaning synagogue child. You yes, mean, I'm sorry, synagogue child, synagogue yeah. child, um, and and uh, families that uh, have been affiliated with uh, Shomri Torah. Um, information about all of this: yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org. I assume there is a tribute book, right? Correct. You'll see on the website uh, reservations, and there is a tribute book where you are more than welcome to write something personal to the rabbi and Chevy. Uh, your relationship with them, your Hakarat Hatov, your thanks to them uh, as well. They will be presented with that uh, tribute book as well. I bet you they find it hard to believe that it's 50 years. You know, 50 years does go by quickly in certain ways. I Yes. <laughs> uh, I think the rabbi has wonderful, and Chevy have wonderful energy, uh, but uh, they deserve. They deserve what they're going to be doing uh, as a meritous couple and continuing to do, I'm sure, chasadim and relationships, um, and be Osek Betzor Chetzibor and involved with the larger community. By the way, one thing I did learn after being here for 35 years, it seems, based on your brochure for the dinner, that fair lawn is actually two words. <laughs> Very good. I didn't realize Very that. Good. I always thought it was one the, word. The, <laughs> ma- the mail still gets to people when people write fair lawn one word, but those of us who live there hopefully have learned over the years it's fair Lawn. I don't know what the derivation was, whether there were lawns that were not fair, and we became a fair lawn. Um, but we're not fair lawner, far, far lawners, as we say in Yiddish. That's for sure. <laughs> we it's are ver- not. Very active and amazing community. Thank you. Uh, it must be interesting uh, putting together the actual dinner program. I would assume you'll have some uh, or, or many photographs and videos with a lot of memories there, and especially the people. I mean, look, our people – who know Rabbi Yudin from this show, they'll have some some appreciation, obviously, but those who live in Fairlawn all these years will re- really be reliving half a century together with everybody that night. Nachba, I'm glad you brought that up. Many of us in the community uh, attend several or many dinners, fortunately or unfortunately, during the year. Um, <laughs> support is great. Financial support is wonderful. But uh, I know speaking for the dinner committee, which is being co-chaired by Debbie Friedman and Barbara Irwin, um, that this will be a very, very unique dinner for a shul dinner tribute for 50 years. There was going to only be, and hear me out, two speeches, Rabbi Yudin and Chevy. Everything else will, really? be, will be video snippets, photographs, montages, and really get people to have a historical view of the last 50 years. You will not be sitting through seven, eight, six speeches. Um, that's the program. Interesting. It's happening April 7th, 5 p.m., that's a Sunday, at the Atrium Ballroom on Route 59 up in Muncie, New York. It's Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to participate, to pay tribute to Rabbi Mrs. Yudin, and particularly for our listeners who may not be from Fairlawn or may not be as familiar with what Rabbi Yudin does outside of this show, it's an opportunity to really pay tribute to somebody who has educated us every single week. For 35 plus years, and he'll still be doing it tomorrow. And by the way, you can let him know he's invited to continue here, even when he's emeritus. He's invited to continue every single week. I, I, I know <laughs> it's a it's a highlight of his week. I know some of the stories of challenges and uh, and issues and opportunities that have gone on throughout the years. So I am sure he would be more than happy to be uh, announced later this year and promoted as Rabbi Emeritus of Shomri Torah. Uh, reservations, etc. Tribute book, reservations, donations, 
Whatever it is you'd like to do to participate and pay tribute to Rebbe Chevy and Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, uh, go to the website, yudintribute.org, Y-U-D-I-N tribute.org. Willie Hochman, is there anything I left out? Uh, not left out. I just want to make one concluding thank you to JM and the AM and the listening audience. It has been a privilege, if people understand the word privilege. Yeah, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> to hear from Rabbi Yudin every Friday over the last 37-plus years. Wow. And again, we will look forward to everybody paying tribute uh, through our website or through our dinner and Nachum and uh, Network, we really appreciate you giving us this uh, time of the morning. Uh, my pleasure. The least we could do two months from today, 7th of April, oh, two months from go. today. There you go. Two, everyone has two months, but don't take the whole two months. Try to take care of it today. And uh, that was no pressure to the dinner committee and our solicitations <laughs> committee, but to the listening audience, again, a sincere thank you, and uh, do whatever you can. Um, and we'll continue to remind the audience. Pay tribute to Rebison Chevy and Rabbi Benjamin Newton. It's 50 years and 50 amazing years for us, as you uh, heard both Willie and myself point out, we're somewhere around the 37-year mark of every single week. Rabbi Yudin giving us an amazing and incredible sermon about the Torah portion. Plus, remember, he's with us every Erev Yontif uh, and, and Erev last days of Yontif and on many, many different occasions. Um, so he has become the voice, certainly, of, uh, of I would say, timely Torah. Um, you know, in Yanadioma, so to speak, uh, related to the actual Torah portion of the actual week and, of course, related to Yantif for us here at JM and the AM for our vast worldwide audience to help pay tribute and be part of it, yudintribute.org, Y-U-D-I-N, tribute.org. My thanks to Willie Hochman. You are listening to JM in the AM.
JM in the AM, it's Baruch Levine, Thursday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Well, there are a lot of benefits to starting the month of Adar. Uh, our comedy segments, they seep into our programming once Adar begins, and now we're on the second day already of Adar 1, the two-day Rosh Chodesh having been completed yesterday. 
Uh, then, of course, uh, in general, uh, we talk about the joy, the gladness, the happiness, the great spirit that Adar brings. And, of course, our listeners feel that all the time. And then there's something else that happens during the month of Adar. We start to focus on one of the most amazing and incredible stories in Jewish history. And that is the story told in the book of Esther. And it all culminates about, I don't know, five and a half, six weeks from now with the big Purim celebration. And, of course, all of this is so positive until <laughs> until you meet my next guest. And he knows I'm joking around, but you'll get the point in a moment. Michael Eisenberg is here visiting us from Israel. He's an equal partner at Aleph, an early-stage venture capital fund with uh, with $330 million under management. Aleph focuses on serving Israeli entrepreneurs who want to build scalable global businesses. Since its founding in 2013, they've invested in more than 20 companies, including WeWork and Lemonade and Windward and Nexar. Michael has authored two books, Ben Baruch, an exposition on topics in the Jerusalem Talmud, Talmud Yerushalmi, uh, that being uh, Mesechus Brachos, and the book that I want to discuss this morning, because as I said, it's now the month of Purim, or the two months of Purim, during these months of Adar, and the book is called The Vanishing Jew, a new exposition on the Book of Esther. Michael Eisenberg, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? Baruch Hashem. Great to see you. Great to have you here live in person. We have spoken about this book before on the air, but uh, never with you here in the studio. Uh, Amazon says the following. Bear with me for a moment. And you're right, by the way. It is available on Amazon right now for $9.90. I think a very... So you're, you know something about investments. I think that's a very worthwhile investment investment in the jewish future to say the least for <laughs> jews life can be comfortable in the diaspora however it comes with a big price which is not always immediately apparent but slowly eats at their jewishness in a highly textual new and old reading of the bible's book of esther the author examines what happened to mordechai and his people a people who chose to stay in shushan persia the capital city of the first multicultural empire by looking at the text, classic commentators, and historical writings, the author examines the Persian kingdom's recovery from its defeat by the Greeks and the parallel emigration of a handful of its Jewish residents who returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the new temple and restore their homeland, religion, and identity. Mordechai, meanwhile, had another plan. The Persian king Ahasuerus conducted a beauty contest to choose his new wife. Mordechai recognized his opportunity to get closer to the throne, etc., etc., etc. Many of us are very, very familiar with the story of Esther. Do we have any idea what percentage of the community actually went to the Holy Land as opposed to what percentage stayed in Persia? Actually, very similar to today, um, like in the first Aliyah of modern times, very, very few people went back with uh, Zerubbabel and Yoshua Kohen Gadol uh, in the early days. It's tens of thousands of people. Not more than that. Uh, the book of Ezra tells us that it's tens of thousands of people. And am I right that, that may, it, may, it would make sense to say between 10 and 20 percent? Would that be? Would it's that be? really hard to know. Nobody has a correct accounting of how many Jews. I, I don't even think it's that large. It could be smaller than that. It could that. be smaller than that. It's, it, it's not too different from the last 80 or 90 years of, of Jewish history. Now, was the Holy Land, and I have to be careful how to say this, was the Holy Land unattractive at that point? Was it a, because I would, I would venture to say that if we're going to compare it to today, we're dealing with an Israel and a and a holy land and, and wonderful cities that are an attraction to a great degree to people from around the world who want to live in a wonderful place. In those days, 
what were they seeing when they looked toward what we know today as Israel? It's very important to put in the historical context of when the story happens. Chazal say that it happens in the 70 years of uh, Golos Bavel, the Babylonian exile. Between the temples. Between the two temples. Right. Uh, historians, the Ibn Ezra, uh, Sefer Ezra, indicate that it happened afterwards, some 60, 70 years after. The building uh, of the second temple? After the return to Israel, after, oh. the, end of the, after the end of the exile. And right. In the book I write that it approximates that. But when they get back, the walls are destroyed. The marauders are attacking, similar to the Arabs of modern-day times. They need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's dangerous. There isn't food. There isn't water. They need to kind of rebuild the, rebuild the land. You know, 70 years thereafter, like seven years today, it's become a more attractive place for more people to go. Right. And then you have actually the blossoming of many of our traditions and cultures which happened, which happened during the Second Temple uh, period. And right. what's happening in Shushan during that time? In other words, what's the attraction to stay where they are? Yeah, in, in my reading of, of the story, there's a fundamental question one needs to answer, which is what is the first parak, the first chapter doing there, and the last parak, which are fundamentally economic chapters. There's a party in the first parak that describes this incredible wealth in the White House of Shushan, right? It's incredible wealth in you know Shushan, New York City of old. And in the last paragraph, we talk about new taxes, not 70%, I hope, but <laughs> new taxes that Mordechai levies uh, on the place. And this is an economic story that, the economy was really good, so the Jews of Shushan stayed put for financial reasons. And I track through the book and through the 10 chapters of Esther how the, how the economy rises and people assimilate, and the economy declines and anti-Semitism rises. And then you have the story of the Hatzalah, the salvation. Um, but then the economy goes good again. And uh, well, things get good for the Jews, and because they can levy new taxes, etc., and they stay. Michael Eisenberg is here. Can you, can you give us, uh, cite some examples of that? I'm trying to think where in the Megillah we are told, or there's an allusion to the fact yeah. that that the economy is going down or is suffering, and therefore, and and I should say, and at the same time, anti-Semitism or hatred promoted by Haman is going up. Yeah, it, the the second parak is the key transitional chapter uh, in the Book of Esther. What you see there is that Esther gets chosen as the queen, and the party compared to the party in the first chapter. Uh, goes down. And what happens in those intervening years, the book of Esther, by the way, takes place over about 13 years. We don't pay attention to it, but right. it takes place over a long period of time. So it's probably written as a retrospective. Um, and during that second chapter, Ahasuerus has to have a more Sanua modest party uh, for Esther because what happened was a war. The budget's smaller. The budget's smaller because there was a war. It's not different than what's gone on today. Right, of course. The big empire of the time got involved in wars with the Greeks, um, Battle of Salamis, Etc. And the war goes in an incredible uh, uh, historical detail. Herodotus tells us that the amount of gold and silver missing from the uh, from the king's uh, treasury after that was 9,970 silver bars. If that sounds familiar, it's va'aseret alafim kikar kesef eshkol melech that Haman promises to replenish the coffers. Achashverosh's depleted coffers. Of the king, and immediately after that second chapter, Gidal Hamelech Hashverosh Saman Ben Amdasa, because he's desperate for the money. He's desperate for the money. When economies go bad, anti-Semitism rises. It happens over and over. And, and over Haman again says, "I have the perfect solution for you because I know the source of the economic downfall, and that's the Jewish people." Yes, and maybe you know, different from of different approaches. Was he going to get that? Did he have the ten thousand uh, silver tal talents, or did he take it from the Jews, or? What was he doing with it? You know, maybe he took it in uh, protection or in 
larger taxes. Right. But that was a story, and he tells a typical anti-Semitic trope. But the economy recovers, and the Jews get back into power. And then they didn't learn a lesson, and they stayed put. And, and assimilation. I'll tell you an amazing story. After I but one, the, second, one, yeah. one second, the economy recovers. Give me the timeline, how it coincides with the, with the, with the I guess we should say, the discovery um, or the decision by Ahasuerus to praise Mordechai. In other words, is it around that time that when he makes that decision after he's up all night and he can't sleep, is it is it around that time that that coincidentally, and I know you would say not coincidentally, but but that is when the economy starts to turn? No, it turns a bit later in in, in the story. So Mordechai's already hailed as a hero. Well, he's not really hailed as a hero. The, the turning point of the story, here's another thing we don't realize when we read the book. How long, or Book of Esther, how long was it between when the anti-Semitism started uh, and uh, and Haman is hanged. Anti-Semitism started is, I assume, when Haman first gave the decree. Yeah, and we know the Megillah tells us it's day after day. It's about four days, and it, it's four days. Yeah, it's about four chapters in four days, right? Because he's planning it for eleven months from now, right? But then you know Mordechai calls to Esther and says, "You better go into the king and take care of this." Right? And she goes in one day, and there's one party, and then there's another party, and at the second party. Ahasuerus orders Haman hanged. So less than a week. Anti-Semitism is, you know, or until Haman's hanged is four days in the story. The book takes place over 13 years. There's a larger story at work here that the author has decided to tell us, but he's told it in an incredibly charming and, and slightly deceptive manner. And is that a to, to our detriment, unfortunately, that the story of Esther is, uh, I don't even know, you say charming. There's probably a different way I would put it. It's, 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 it's a satire. Yeah, it, it seems unre- the, the unrealism of it unfortunately, uh, it dominates our view of it, I would say. You know, at the at the G8 convention uh, this year in Israel, they wanted to talk about the relationship between Israel and diaspora jury in, in an honest uh, way. I, I don't think people actually have these honest conversations because it's difficult, right. and we should acknowledge it. It's, it's a difficult conversation. Um, but, I, you know, my view is that the person writing the book uh, is sitting in Israel. It's written beautiful Second Temple Hebrew, right, that wasn't the spoken language in Persia. Right. And he's writing a letter to his brothers in the diaspora and saying, hey, this country is growing. We're building an economy. Don't be comfortable. Come join us. We're going to build a great economy together that is for the support in the future of the Jewish but people. But that's not reflected in homeland. the story, though. It is. I think if you read it very carefully, as I did in the book. It's, Cite an example for me. It's what, What's not reflected? That attitude. Where, where in that letter, where in that Megillah, I would guess, right? Yeah, is, is is somebody conveying? Hey guys, hey my my. Hey, you hey your name is Mordechai. You know, I hope I can say this on air, but sure. you know, at, calling somebody Mordechai is the equivalent of calling them Jesus, right? Because Mordechai is named for the Babylonian Babylonian Persian god Marduk, and Esther is named for the Persian Babylonian goddess Ashtar. Wow! Right? It's like Christina, right, or Mary, and. Um, that's the language used in, in the Megillah. And even Chazal point out that uh, there was tremendous assimilation taking place at the party in Ahasuerus' castle in, in Shushan. I think, you know, the important thing to recognize is we're at the second time in history where uh, we have an emergent Jewish state and a strong diaspora uh, community. Never between Purim and today. Never between Purim and today. That story yeah. is the... Well, the second temple, period. Right, that's right. the prototype for yes, us. Yes, that is the prototype. Ezra goes back. If we, were living, if we were living 100 years ago, you may not have written this book. You couldn't. You couldn't be Because you wouldn't have it. understood it. Yeah, you couldn't understand the dynamic. And the dy- this, is, this is exactly the same thing. Purim took place at the same point that we are in the modern state of Israel. Roughly 
a hundred years after the first settlers went back to Eretz Yisrael, you know, worked their tails off, got mud underneath their fingernails, um, built, tilled the land, built the walls, set up a security system. It's right there in Sefer Ezra and Nehemiah. It's right there. You can read it. We don't get that far in the Tanakh, but it's right there. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Although somebody told me the other day that he actually teaches uh, in, in a in a school where he makes sure to teach uh, Ezra to the students. They're actually the most important books for modern times, but we don't get there. And there's a lot of Aramaic in the middle. So and if you read Ezra, you will see exactly what we're going through today. Exactly. Again, well, the percentage of Jews, the attitude toward going to Israel, the lack of desire of Jews to leave the diaspora, etc. Et here's an amazing thing. After I wrote the book, I got a call from David Bloomberg, who is the chairman of Israel's National Library, who I know for a bunch of years. He comes and says, Michael, Tavul of Vakiroti, come see me. So I go to see him. He sits me down. He has a very serious look on his face. And he said, uh, I read in Hebrew, but he said, I read your book. I said, oh, thank you. What did you think? He said, you missed out on a very important detail. I said, what's that? He said, between 1880 and 1910. I didn't know this, and I haven't checked it, but I think it's pretty searched. I've told it to enough people. Um, Three million Jews left the Ukraine and Poland and came to the United States. He said, if you just multiply population growth in the United States or in the world during that time period, there should be somewhere between 13 and 15 million Jews in the United States. Right. And there's 6 million, and there was post-World War I immigration and post-World War II immigration, and there's been zero anti-Semitism, basically. Where did all those Jews go? And the answer is they assimilated into Persia. Like the Purim story. Like the Purim story. You know, modern-day Persia. And, you know, we talk a lot about anti-Semitism. It gets a lot of headlines. But the biggest threat to Jewishness is assimilation. If, um, if the majority of Jews in the diaspora would have moved to Israel over the last 70 years, let's say, would you have written this book? Was this book written because of the mission of convincing people in diaspora? You got to you got to see what this historic story tells us. The the book was written because I've been a Balkore since my bar mitzvah, and I've been reading Esther since my bar mitzvah, and I couldn't make sense of the story. I looked at all these people who were happy, and it didn't feel like it Why had a happy it end. Why did so simple to us? It didn't feel like a happy end to me, and I you know it it bothered me. And then in my early twenties, the parish cooked up in my head, and I didn't have the gumption to to go write it, basically. And when 2008 happened and the economy started to crash, I began to see the economic cycles uh, of the Megillah more clearly, and it became more urgent to me. And you look at what's going on right now, and uh, I just felt I had to write it. It was, it was and it just came out. I, I literally sat down and wrote the book in months. It was, uh, it was cooked up. I had the whole parish. It's, it's, it's a linear translation or linear interpretation of the book. It's every pusik I go through. All right. Um, and the story just called out. I just... 2008 was a dramatic moment in world history, in my view, and in, in economic history. And we tend to forget those things pretty quickly, so it, it just came out. The Vanishing Jew is the name of the book. The Vanishing Jew, check it out. Michael Eisenberg is here. Um, and you know my wife. She thinks I see everything through economic lenses, so, <laughs> which is true. And I think but the, I the think economy it, makes the world go round. It does. I, but I'm under the impression yeah. that you see things through an Aliyah lens. In other words, you're, you're in Israel— Obviously, having fulfilled your own personal, you know, I grew dream. up, up uptown here, right? Correct. Yeah. You grew up on this island. <laughs> yeah, I grew up on this island. And nonetheless, you're living in Israel, and your family living in Israel. I'm sure members of your family have been in the IDF, correct? I, mean, I have children there. Children, excuse me, children in the IDF. God bless you, and God bless them. Um, and I think that this book is more of a warning, uh, more than the analysis economically. It's more. That's why I said, if most Jews would have moved in the last seventy years, would you have bothered writing it? Because I don't, I don't think you're nearly as um, I don't think you nearly feel the urgency of telling the economic story as much as you feel the urgency to convince people like me, hey, do you realize you sitting in Persia, New York, do you realize it's time to get to Israel? And I called the book a wake-up call from the book of right. Esther. And 
um, it, it was actually, I can candidly say it was driven, the perush was driven through an economic analysis of the words in the Megillah, why the word yakar repeats itself. Right. What does it mean? That we all interpret as, you know, Mordechai shrine chai v'kayim, but the phrase is borrowed from Esav. It's borrowed from Esav when, you know, right. you know, when, when he's upset at Yitzchak. So, um, but yes, uh, I think we are in an important moment in history, and I don't want to say this any differently, but the future of the Jewish people is not in New York or Chicago or Los Angeles or Sao Paulo or Buenos Aires or London. It's in Israel. And, you know, my desire to move to Israel, which I wanted to be where the future is. You know, my investment business that I have is I invest in technology, which right. is I'm trying to invest in the future. And I like to think about the future of our children, please God, and our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. Uh, where is the best place for them to be and to express their Jewishness so holy and, and, to, and to keep the Jewish people alive and not assimilate. Look what's going on. Yeah, but you and, also have a fear that your brothers and sisters, people like myself, um, are going to be in a very precarious situation if they stay here. Um, you're, you're worried about the safety of, of your brothers and sisters. I'm here. worried about the, the identity first. Right. Right. It, it, the book's about that assimilation is a greater threat than anti-Semitism. Well, the anti-Semitism is... Right. is so you're worried about the future about. of the Jewish people. Really, and the future identity. of Jewishness and the future of the right. Jewish people. But anti-Semitism comes when economies go down. If you look at a lot of what's going on in politics today and in the, in the rise of anti-Semitism, it's been well reported by the ADL. Um, you see that in parts of, of, of the country where there's economic hurt, and there is economic hurt, in the epilogue to the English version of the book, I talk through the economic cycles here and the rise in anti-Semitism. It's not in the Hebrew book. Um, Bad economies bring anti-Semitism. It just, it just does. It happens plus, over and over plus, and over again. Plus, as you're sitting a mile away from it, uh, there's an impression that the greatest um, centers of wealth in this country uh, are dominated by Jewish people. You know, I, don't, I don't think it's appropriate to talk like that. There's a lot of talk of that right, by others. I'm saying, yeah. But you know, I think uh, you know, people work, they succeed, um, they're blessed by God, whatever it is, you know, right, but in a capitalist society, they are entitled to do that. And they give lots of charity. But even if it's legit, you still have plenty of people who are looking and saying, you know, this is a good excuse to be anti-Semitic. This is a good excuse to There's hate no, Jews. There is no good excuse to be anti-Semitic. Right. Period. There's no good excuse to be a racist. There's anti, no good excuse anti, to be but divisive. For, but for the anti-Semite, they, they're very creative. I, I, the fact that people try, choose to express their creativity and get out their inner demons in the way they do, that, that's their own. But... I don't think we should engage in that. I think we should reject any notions of of, of racism and anti-Semitism. And that's not a politically correct statement. That's just, that's what God asked us to do. Right? It's why God chose the Jewish people. But don't don't you agree that the anti-Semitism you're describing is also unfair or or made up to a degree? No hate is fair. No hate is fair. I mean, you you are here acknowledging that anti-Semitism you, is not right, and not fair. right, correct. Yeah. But you're here acknowledging that when the economy goes bad, you're going to get negative reaction from a lot of people that, that and hatred over, toward Jews over and over so again. I'm, history. So I'm, so I'm simply adding the point that people not only hate Jews for that reason; they also hate Jews for impressions that they're under that they that may be false or maybe people be true. tell themselves all sorts of stories. You know, to to explain. To explain uh, why, away their anti-Semitism. Yeah, why bad right. things happen. But you know, I, I think engaging in those stories actually gives them credence, and right. I don't want to do that. How good is it uh, to invest in Israel economically right now? And, and are you shocked by what's happened over the last few years? So I think it's nothing short of a miracle. That's the first thing. A real nace. Yeah. And you're talking about God here. You're talking about God. 
Yeah, God intervening. I, I tend to believe that, that God that's the only helps who those who help themselves, right? Good and, point. Uh, Put in the work, and he'll be there for yeah, you. Yeah, you know, work hard, and God turns up. And right. um, the, you know, part of the, the talk in the book is we must create. I, I moved to Israel. You know the story. You've heard it from me a bunch of times. But uh, Rav Amital Zichron of the was Rosh Shiva of the Gush, uh, challenged me when I was 19. He said, make Aliyah move to Israel and create 10,000 honorable jobs because right. people need to earn an honest and decent living. Right. I think that's true. If we create a great economy that attracts people, People will come. I've done three speeches over the last three nights about Israel's economy. You know, people talking to me about moving there and getting jobs. Here, catch this. In the high-tech economy, we've reached salary parity with the United States. Wow. That wasn't true 10 years ago. And I'm a big believer in growth trends. And um, if you look at the growth of, of average income in Israel, it far eclipses the United States. Not at the high ends. Right. But if you look at average income Across growth, the board. The rate of growth far increase, you know, far eclipses the United States, and I think those trends compound on themselves. You know, we got through 2008 very good, uh, very well, on a comparative basis to the rest of the world, and we have this innovation economy that keeps growing. We need more engineers. Israel short 15,000 engineers. We need more people who speak a great English and can write and produce content and do online marketing and a million things. And we have to keep this economic miracle going. It's only 300,000 people out of a country. Are you are you approached by people in the Far East? To invest in Israel because we hear yes. about China being at the step of Israel and at the and at the door of the Prime Minister. Frankly, very often, are you approached by people from that area? Yes, of the world? you know, if you go to the Sheridan in Tel Aviv, you can get a Chinese breakfast. These Is that days. true? Yeah, <laughs> because and so you many... and you have meetings there. I don't, um, <laughs> but the, uh, but you will meet with people from China. <laughs> I do meet with people from the Far East. In, in the last month, I've had people from China, Japan, India, and I'm told someone's coming to see me from Vietnam. Can I assume they all speak English? They all speak English, although I speak about 50 words in Japanese. That's funny. And, and I know we only have two minutes left, but I just have to ask you because you're here. Are you shocked by the success of certain companies? WeWorks, for instance. You know, we, we observe as regular people you know, the system and how it works and, and why would it work. Did, did it surprise you that it would become a big hit? You know, I lose money on 50% of my investments, so I'm always surprised when these things work as well as they do. You know? So people shouldn't think you're always batting 1,000. No, I'm definitely not batting 1,000. Um, you know. Lemonade, we took a binary right. bet on starting an insurance company, started in Tel Aviv right. in New York. You can imagine you're selling insurance. We have 400 plus thousand customers across the United States. The business started in Tel Aviv in New York, selling insurance. No one ever thought of that. Right. You know, who wouldn't do it without a face to face encounter? Right? Exactly. Who wouldn't do it without a face to face encounter? But in this world that's so globally connected today, and you can influence people online, you can get people to convert and buy insurance online, you can build global companies from Tel Aviv. We're launching in Germany in the next month. It's unbelievable. Wow. You know, um, all from. Tel Aviv in New York. It's unbelievable. unbelievable. Uber surprise you? Because uh, I, never, I never thought people would want to go into someone else's car. So. Yes, so my former firm, when I was there, we invested in Uber. So the success doesn't su surprise me at Uber. And because, early on when you say invested? Yeah, because because the taxi industry is so miserable oh, that it, that it needed to a really bad. By the way, the insurance right. industry is miserable. It's the most right. hated financial So you take advantage world. of that by creating a much better model. We can and create a more... delightful experiences right. for people That's using what it's all about. Phone and you know, attract customers that way. And I want to say something. You know, Israel is, observe a fascinating thing. We work as like a capitalist kibbutz, right? What Israel is, you know, Fauda has become this incredibly right. popular show on Netflix. What Israel started to do is actually export culture. Israeli food is known over here. It's not kosher, but right. it's an incredibly popular but the name restaurant. is here, right? Israeli culture has become exportable. We're not just exporting Jaffa oranges anymore, but it's this culture. It's this... The um, chefs, the movies, the TV shows, everything. Yeah, and I think it's more than that. It's even the esprit de corps that you develop in the Army. Right. It's this teamwork. It's We can do this. That's an amazing thing. You probably saw it, but... 
you know, Netanyahu sent off a, a group of what's called Shesh Shesh Shesh, the 669, the search and rescue unit to Brazil. Right. I don't know if you know this, but people I know who are decamillionaires dropped everything they had and in two hours turned up at the airport to fly to Brazil to save other people. 200 people from 669 from Shesh Shesh turned up to do that. People made it successful in high tech and a million other things. They dropped everything because they had this esprit de corps. And that is, it's magic. It's really magic. Unbelievable. You know, I see what my kids are going through in the Army. I'm, I'm envious. I'm, so you I'm get envious. to see this up close and personal, and you're recommending. I encourage that, you to as well. Go, everybody should come and see it up close and Don't personal. Don't wait. we got a shrinking population in the United States. We can make a giant economic miracle happen in Israel. It's already happening. You just got to jump on. It's not the hard work of Ben-Gurion and all the people who came 80, 90 years ago. You've, you've, you can get Heinz ketchup. You know, just You've blazed the trail already. Uh, not me. People that, far before me have blazed the trail. Now we just have to follow. It's called The Vanishing Jew, a wake-up call from the Book of Esther. Michael Eisenberg, check it out. Buy it, everybody. You'll be inspired during these months of Adar. Achenu Israel and Achim our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Plenty coming up. Charlie Harari is next with Unlocking Greatness. Spin class with Michael Fragan at 9.30. 10 a.m. for Jew in the City Speaks. And at 10.30 are by Yaakov Horowitz, founding dean of Yeshiva Darche Noam of Muncie, an innovative educator, author, and child safety advocate. He's published over 70,000 child safety books that have been distributed in three different languages. Miriam L. Wallach speaks with him at 10.30 this morning. At 11 o'clock, we'll have a live lunch from our studio. Michael Eisenberg, I thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. I really appreciate it. And the book is called The Vanishing Jew, A Wake-Up Call from the Book of Esther. It will enhance your months of Adar. And by the way, my mother's name was Esther. (laughs) And on her tombstone, you know what it says? You'll know this. You're a Balkore. Esther no seitchen beinei koroel. Because that was my mother. Yeah, Thank thank you, Michael. Uh, Everybody, stay tuned. More coming up here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a fabulous Thursday till tomorrow. Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.